Luke uh, chapter 6, Luke chapter 6. God's word is holy and infallible. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the very bone and marrow. It also cuts to our hearts. And God can use this, his word, uh, to make us a living sacrifice before him. And to honor God's word, let's stand and give heed to the word of the Lord as we stand to read from Luke chapter 6. Starting at verse 37. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? They, will they not both fall into a pit? The pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's pray together. Our awesome and holy and almighty God, we thank you for this, your word, your authoritative word, and we pray that you would guide and help and lead us by means of your word. Give us your Holy Spirit to help us to believe and receive and guide me as I teach and help me as I preach to preach uh, in conformity to this, your blessed and holy word. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I was watching a a video of a pastor that decided he was going to visit a drag queen story hour. And he visited, and he, he got up and he started basically preaching to the whole crowd. And um, there was a scantily dressed man who was dressed like a woman that was looked like she was looked like he was going out to sit to get on a street corner to sell um, his body for prostitution. That's how nasty the outfit was. And uh, this pastor confronted this individual and said some things about what was wrong, but also he he basically. Um, told the people that they shouldn't be taking their kids to this. So this, uh, this transgender person got up in front of the pastor and said this, We are here to celebrate love. We are here to celebrate pride. We are here to celebrate inclusion. You cannot judge me. It's times like this you would hear someone also say, 
Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? And you've probably heard someone say that before. I've actually heard people say that. Um, the beginning of Luke 6.37 has probably been one of the most misused and abused passages in all of Scripture for generations. It's a horrible and terrible shame. However, Jesus has these words in Scripture for a reason. Um, there's a reason God has this in the Scriptures, and He wants us to apply it to our lives. But we have to know how to interpret it rightly. Uh, we have to ask God for guidance, how to understand and how to apply this, His Holy Word. You don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, do you? Which is what some might end up doing, because uh, some might tell us, oh, judge not, Therefore, so you don't be judged. Therefore, you, the, the Christian might just say, well, I can't say anything else. Well, that's not right. The end of verse 38, I believe here, is the key for understanding this entire passage from this great sermon. Um, again, the, the passage in question is verses 37 through 38 is the main focus. We will look a little bit ahead, which kind of goes into the text for next time. But the end of verse 38 is the key for understanding this message for today. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This will come up again and again during this message. It's the truth that goes behind all of the, the points of this sermon. Today's text, again, is an abbreviated version, comes from an abbreviated version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever preached by our Lord Jesus. Uh, it was recorded in multiple chapters in Matthew's Gospel, but it's only recorded in a brief section of chapter 6 in Luke's Gospel. But as we look at today's text, the main focus is that God calls you to use a righteous standard of measure. God calls you to use a righteous standard of measure. And we'll see this in three main points. Your measure in judgment, your measure in forgiveness, and also your measure of generosity. Let's look at this first main point. Your measure in judgment. Verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Uh, again, people like to throw this verse around anytime you talk to them about an issue of sin whatsoever. It might even be a person who is a professing Christian who will use this verse if you talk to them about any sin whatsoever. The first thing to notice is that this verse does not forbid pointing out sin as some wrongly claim that this verse forbids. In verse 42, Jesus warns us how we are to speak to others about sin. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. An example of this is that 
people like to accuse and gawk at the immoral crime, I'm sorry, the immoral uh, practice of homosexuality. Yet they themselves are fornicators and adulterers. Yet they want to go and point out how, how wicked somebody else is. That's, hip, that's hypocrisy. Well, what about the, the hypocritical drunkard who's getting on the case of the, the drug abuser? They're both wrong in the eyes of God. Um, and they're like the person with a big plank in their eye, but they want to go look at someone else and someone else's sin. I think Jesus tells us that we first need to repent of our sin before we go and talk to others about theirs. In other words, the measure of our judgment should be taking into account our own sin. Jesus said in Scripture that you are, you are to talk to fellow believers about the matters of sin. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Well, what if the brother says, Oh, well, judge not lest you be judged. Then Matthew 18, 15 makes total nonsense. But there is a procedure there. What to do next if someone is stubborn and doesn't want to listen? James concludes at the very end of his epistle, James concludes that yes, as believers, you are to confront fellow believers concerning the matter of sin. If anyone, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will recover a, and will cover a multitude of sins. That's found in James 5, 15 through 20, the end of the, the epistle. That would make total nonsense if someone would then reply, well, judge not lest you be judged. Now, let's say someone says, well, I believe what Scripture is telling us is that Christians only have a right to talk to other Christians about sin, not to talk to someone else outside the church or outside the covenant community. Well, uh, Jesus talked to the woman at the well about her sin. Um, Do you remember the the adulterous woman who was uh, also uh, another case of an adulterous woman who was... Men were seeking to stone her to death. Um, he he basically ended that, and the, because there were probably some guilty parties there, he said, "He who is without sin cast the first stone." But then he told her when she was leaving, "Go and sin no more. You, you need to stop what you're doing. This is not right." A, another case is that Jesus, um, with the Pharisees and lawyers condemn them of their wickedness and sin with very harsh terms. Now, we have to keep in mind that when Jesus condemns certain people of sin, he knows their heart, and sometimes he knows their eternal state. So we can't, we can't talk to people like in that same fashion that Jesus did and say that your, your father is the devil. Well, we can tell him that you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and embrace the Holy Gospel, but we don't know uh, we don't know a person's eternal state like Jesus understood because he was sovereign. Key part in understanding verse 
37 is not just the, begin, the beginning, but it's what follows next. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. That's another warning about how we talk to others about sin. Um, if you talk to someone about sin, if they are a professing believer or not, your words should never condemn a person to hell. Now, Jesus, again, had the privilege of being the judge of the living and the dead. And he still has a privilege, of course. He's the one who separates the sheep and the goats. That is not our job. We're not the ones who are to condemn people and to judge people and tell them that they're going straight to hell. Now, we should always encourage people to repent of their sin and believe in the work, the finished work of Christ. And if that person rejects the gospel that we tell them about, we still should not condemn them to hell because we don't know if they're going to receive it next week or next year or later on. Again, we don't know their eternal state and we don't know whether they will receive or not. But we must always be faithful to talk to them about the contingencies. A contingency is an if-then statement. Scripture says, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. But if you, re if you reject him, you will be condemned. You talk to them about those if then statements, just as what Scripture says, and leave the judging and the condemnation unto God. One more thing about this is that to condemn someone to hell has a prophetic notion about it. You're saying that that person in the future will never repent and believe in the gospel. Now, Jesus did condemn Judas before he died. He condemned Judas and he said words such as this, it would have been better if that man had never been born. But the reason Jesus can do it is because he is sovereign and he knew, he knows the end from the beginning. He's the sovereign God and he could say that. But we don't know the end from the beginning. We only know the present and we don't know the future. So we, we use the if-then statements of Scripture, and leave the judging again up to God. Next, our, our passage talks about how we are to have a measure in forgiveness. Look at the end of verse 37. Pardon, and your sins will be pardoned. The New King James translation says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, Christians first and foremost, are forgiven an immense debt of sin through the work of Jesus, an immense weight of sin through the work of Jesus. Now, we recited the Apostles' Creed earlier in our worship, and some might say, I used to know some Christians, Reformed Presbyterian Christians, or I would just say somewhat Reformed Christians in Philadelphia, and at that Presbyterian church there, when they would recite... Um, the Apostles' Creed, they would not repeat these words. They would stay silent. He descended into hell because they didn't believe it was scriptural, so they didn't repeat those words. They, if you watch them closely, they would, they would stop, and then as the confession went on, they would start talking again. Now, to understand that statement, 
the Heidelberg Catechism gives us some awesome stuff here. It asks the question, this is Heidelberg Catechism 44, why does the creed add, he descended into hell? And the answer from the confession is this, to assure me, during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Jesus suffered hellish anguish and torment for the elect. If you are a Christian, Jesus suffered the pains of hell for you. He suffered the wrath of his Father for you. He suffered the equivalent of you burning in hell for eternity because he loved you. Now, that is a great weight of suffering. and that, That's a great weight of penalty for sin that he has suffered. Now, if Jesus has done that for you, shouldn't you forgive others? What is the, the sin debt of others in comparison to what Christ went through for your forgiveness? In light of his immense love and hellish suffering, especially bearing the Father's wrath, in order to forgive you, you ought to forgive others who ask you to forgive them. Now, Peter asked this question. He says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Matthew 18, 21 and following. Now, that, if you do your math, that's 490 times. Now, I don't know about some of you, but I sure hope there's nobody here that's keeping a tally on a loved one, a spouse, a brother or a sister, a friend or a relative or someone in the church and saying, you know, he's at number 412 and he just has a little ways to go. And then once he has that little ways to go, watch out. I don't think what, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, You've been forgiven, especially if someone asks you and says, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? Who are you to hold back forgiveness? Now, this is a sensitive subject. I don't find it very sensitive because I don't think I have a, a great deal of desire for this sort of thing. But I met a, a, a lady in doing home health once. I believe she was in the, in the, in the Carolinas, and uh, in South Carolina. And what happened was she was dividing up her inheritance, and she made a mistake where she didn't quite give one daughter quite as much as the other, but then after it was pointed out, she corrected it, and she said, I'm sorry, but this daughter forever held a grudge for years, for years. She was not satisfied with her mom's apology. She would not accept her mom asking forgiveness. It wasn't even a sin. But here she was, angry, livid with her mother 
over something that was not even a particular sin. And the, the mom's asking for forgiveness, and she's unwilling to, to say, Mom, it's okay. But instead held anger and animosity to her mom for years. Oh, it was a dreadful situation. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't say, forgive people if you think that they're sincere. Now, here's the argument I have here. If someone does the same sin seven or eight times, your first question in your mind is, is he really sincere or is she really sincere? She keeps doing the same thing to me. Well, what does Jesus say? I don't know, 400 490 times? I, I think you would question whether they're sincere or not if they keep repeating it after number 50. But if they still come and ask if you to forgive them, you should be willing to forgive. Besides, we're not mind readers. We don't read the minds of people and, and say, well, I, you're not sincere. I don't truly believe that you're sorry. Well, if they say, please forgive me, you, ha- you should be willing to forgive. But in light of your forgiveness in Christ, your standard of measure of forgiving ought to be generous indeed. Jesus said, For by your measure, it will be measured to you in return. So by your measure of forgiveness, it will be measured to you in return. A professing Christian who refuses to forgive either doesn't understand his or her duty or they might have an empty profession of faith altogether. If that person has not asked you to forgive them, but you know that there's animosity in the relationship, maybe you should consider, you should consider contacting them and saying, can we please talk? And try to follow a Matthew 18 protocol. Can we please talk? You, you have hurt me. I believe you have sinned against me. Can we reconcile? And try to follow Matthew 18. Jesus also goes on to say that you are to consider your measure of generosity. Look at verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, imagine a basket. The illustration here is of a basket, maybe filled with some sort of grains, seeds, or beans. And in order for it to, to get this basket full, sometimes you've got to shake it and let it settle. It's kind of like when you're baking, you know, if you, if you scoop up a cup of flour, you've got to tap it with a, with a spoon or a knife and let it settle, and then you level it off. Same thing with brown sugar. It's so fluffy. You've got to pack it down to get the accurate measure. It's the same thing here. It's, it's, to get the accurate measure, it's of something generous that God's giving. He's giving something pressed down, shaking together, and running over. He's not just giving you a full basket. He's giving you a tightly packed, full, overflowing basket. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. I've often used this verse in church here in, regarding, in regard to tithes and offerings. And I think it's a very beautiful passage of Scripture. Very, very well-known, very famous uh, passage. It's beautiful, and, and I believe that Christians shouldn't be stingy when giving to the Lord. But our giving money isn't the only thing. What about giving your time? What about giving yourself in worship, both private and corporate? What about giving yourself of your time for Christian service? If there's somebody in the church in need and might want to visit, or maybe someone who's lonely and who might want to visit, um, maybe consider giving them a call and asking them how they're doing and maybe consider uh, some measure of Christian service in in the Christian community. God promises great blessings to those who give in faith with a sincere heart. Malachi 3.10 Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And Paul said again in 2 Corinthians 9.6 He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also Reap bountifully. So again, yes, this passage, verse 38, pertains to to giving. But I believe it might have a wider application than that. So in light of the verses that we read earlier, consider this. Consider when he says, give and it will be given unto you. It doesn't say what you should give. And it doesn't say to whom you should give it to. Give it to whom you should give it. It doesn't say what you should give or to who you should give to. When you meet unbelievers and you talk to them about eternal matters, matters, seek to first challenge them and speak of God's grace rather than just condemning them. Give the words of eternal life to them. We don't want them to perish and suffer in hell forever. Give them the words of eternal life. Be kind and gracious. And others will be kind and gracious to you in return. Be gentle and people will treat you gently in return. Be respectful and people will be respectful to you in return. Again, for by your measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, when you've wronged someone, When you've wronged someone, you should be willing to ask forgiveness. Or when they have wronged you, you should be willing to give them forgiveness. God will will bless you if you obey this command. God will bless you with forgiveness in Christ if you are obedient to forgive. If you are forgiving of others, Christ, God, our triune God, will bless you with many blessings, a greater assurance of salvation, a greater peace of conscience. At times, he might even 
bless you with a reclaimed brother or sister or family member or friend. And even times God will bless you with tangible and intangible blessings. Again, the giving, think about this, the giving is not just unto God. What about giving unto others? If we are giving unto others, God oftentimes blesses us with those who are friends who will bless us in return. So by your standard of measure in forgiveness, blessings will be measured to you in return. In your standard of measure in giving to the Lord, blessings will be measured to you in return. In your standard of measure in giving to others, God will bless you with measures back in return. Again, God calls you to have a righteous standard of measure. Talk to others about sin, but remember, condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Seek that they would be claimed for the kingdom. Don't just give words of condemnation. Give them the words of hope from the gospel. You know, if you turn from your sin and you believe in Jesus, God will wipe away not just some of your sin. He'll wipe away all your sin. For your measure of forgiveness, pardon and you will be pardoned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. All of you are to be a forgiving people because of what God has forgiven you. And in your measure of generosity, give and it will be given back unto you. Both give to God, but also give to others. As mentioned before, give to others even the gift of forgiveness if they ask of you to forgive them. Let's pray together. Our blessed God, we... We thank you for this, your word, and we ask that you would help us to honor you and to believe your word, but give us strength and grace. Give us your Holy Spirit to guide and lead us, and give us, we pray, the ability to keep and heed this, your word. Help us to rejoice in the forgiveness that we have in Christ, and help us to give back a measure of what you have given unto us. Help us to be loving and kind and generous unto others and forgiving. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.